This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning and welcome to episode number 84 of Go To Grandma. I'm your host and Go To Grandma, Kathy Buckworth, and this show is airing on Zoomer Radio on March 18th, 2023. Autocratic Parenting. Democratic parenting, helicopter parenting, snowplow parenting, the tiger mom. All of these terms have been a part of our vernacular over the past few generations of parenting. Is there a right way and a wrong way? Besides the six books that I wrote on the subject, is there a guidebook for parenting? Yes, that was a joke. But parenting isn't. As each generation of parents emerges, so too does a different style of parenting. One thing they all have in common is that they have the child's best interests at heart. All parenting styles are well-intentioned. Even when Dr. Spock told my mom to leave us out in the pram at the end of the garden alone for two hours, it was with good intentions, if not super annoying for the neighbors who were within earshot. Today, educator and influencer Tori Halpin is back on the show to talk about gentle parenting, of which she is an advocate and educator. She'll tell us the strategies behind it and why it doesn't translate to being a walked-all-over parent. And we'll talk about how we can incorporate these strategies into our grandparenting to provide a seamless experience for our grandkids. And then, even with the best of intentions and most stringent of strategies, sometimes the kids just turn out to be, well, brats. Managing a teenager can be an especially taxing time for parents and for grandparents. How should grandparents deal with sassy teenage grandkids, particularly when they probably aren't spending that much time with them? Family therapist Allison Schaefer is back on the show to give us some advice and tactics we can use and share with parents and grandparents. Sharing with our grandkids is great. Buying them things is fun. But when we share too much of our money in the pursuit of buying them things, the bills can pile up. It's mid-March, but some of us might still be dealing with the holiday bills that rolled in, indicating how much we really did spend on those adorable little grandkids. Our Take 5 with RBC interview this week looks at how to get your finances back on track for the rest of the year. And we also get some advice on how to stick to a savings regimen and to avoid the baby clothes and toy aisles that call to us. My coffee is calling to me as I get ready to share some fun and facts with our guests today on this episode of Go To Grandma. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and Tori Halpin is up first. Tori Halpin is a mom of two boys with a daughter on the way. With a background in child education, she prides herself on being up to date with the latest research-based parenting strategies. Her Instagram page is a one-stop shop for parents to learn and feel empowered. Good morning, Tori Halpin. Thanks for coming back on the show, Go To Grandma, this morning. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So just in terms of full disclosure, Tori is my oldest daughter and the mom of my two grandsons with a granddaughter on the way in May. And as normally happens, different generations have different parenting styles. So maybe Victoria grew up in a sort of autocratic parenting household, but Victoria is an educator and an influencer on gentle parenting. So Tori... What's up? I'm so sorry. My name's Tori, not Victoria. Oh, sorry. And this is another thing I have to adjust to besides my parenting strategies, right? <laughs> Tori, tell us, what is gentle parenting? What do grandparents need to know about that? Uh, okay, so gentle parenting, I think a lot of people have a misconception in their head that gentle parents mean that their kids are out of control, no rules, and their kids can just do whatever they want. And that is not the case. 
So gentle parenting is very much parenting with boundaries, but you're also respecting the child and validating their feelings at the same time. So as an example, let's say you're at the park with Owen and Cam and you have to go, it's time to go. And you say, how do you approach that with them? How's that? I don't even put words in your mouth. How do you approach it with them that it's time to go? So there are three different types of parenting styles. The first one is permissive. So I think most people think this is what gentle parenting is. So if you say it's time to go and your kid starts having a meltdown because they don't want to leave the park, um, the permissive parent would say, oh, that's okay. I know you really want to stay. We'll stay for 10 more minutes. That's permissive parenting. That is not gentle parenting. Gentle parenting is saying, I know you want to stay at the park. It is time to go. I hear you're feeling sad about that. Do you want to hold my hand? Whatever it is, you're validating their feelings, but you are still holding the boundary. And then the last type of parenting is authoritarian, and that's the more classic old-school parenting, and that's the because-I-said-so parents. Yep. <laughs> so they're <laughs> just saying, we're going right now, stop crying about it, or else we're not coming back tomorrow. <laughs> right, which is really the parenting style that I grew up with, but that I also deployed, as you can say, from firsthand experience. So for grandparents who are sort of dealing with this, what advice do you have in terms of getting into the conversation? I'm the one at the park with Owen. Do I announce to him it's time to go or how do I sort of ease into that? Right. So there's lots of things you can do before it's time to go. Because even as an adult, if you're happily reading your book, you have no idea what concept of time it is. And someone's like, okay, time for dinner. Even if you really want to have dinner, you're excited to go home. You're thinking, oh my gosh, but I was right in the middle of doing something. So there are things you can do before it's time to go. You can let them do a five-minute warning. My three-year-old really loves setting a timer, um, as you have learned Mm -hmm. (laughs) recently. (laughs) So he says the timer himself, so he knows it's time to go. You can let them know the schedule for the day. All of that said, sometimes it is still really hard to leave the park. Um, So you're just saying, I understand you're sad. I hear you. It is still time to leave the park. As you're holding the boundary, you're still just validating all their feelings because they're real, everything that they're feeling. Yeah, and we talked about this too, you and I, earlier this week about it's important if you say we're leaving in 10 minutes, that it is 10 minutes. It's not one minute and it's not half an hour because that sort of distorts their sense of time as well. Exactly. And it sort of wrecks their trust in you. And then another thing I would say is if you're wanting to leave, you have to leave. So when you set a boundary, and this is where I think permissive parenting sort of comes into it, and a lot of people fall into this trap, is that we'll set a boundary. Say, oh, don't go on the muddy grass with your shoes on. Your kids do it, and then you realize it's not a big deal, and you're like, oh, it's fine. (laughs) But then they just know that they can just do whatever they want to do. And then you're just going to agree to it. So before you set the boundary, really think if it's something that you're going to want to follow through on or else don't say it or else they'll know that your word means nothing. Let's say with that example of the muddy shoes, let's say you think in your head, oh, I'm going to change that boundary. So do you announce to them sort of, you know what, I thought this wasn't going to happen, but it's okay. Or you just sort of let it happen the next time. That's a good question. It depends. So some, obviously sometimes we say things and then we realize, oh, shoot, like it's actually not a big deal in the moment. So if you really are struggling with that, if you do that every single time, then your kids are just learning, oh, they're able to do it just because (laughs) because I'm doing it and I'm not listening to them. Right. But of course, there are times where we do want to let our kids know we've made a mistake and it actually wasn't a big deal. So yeah, it is important to vocalize that and say, you know, I've actually thought about it. It's actually okay for you to go on the grass this time. Um, I just need a moment to think about it and then they can do it again. Yeah. And as you referred to, I just spent a couple of days with uh, Owen and Cam with grandsons. And there were times when I would say something and you would sort of, I'll say, course correct me to say, oh, this is how we approach it instead of that. Would you advise that other parents do that as well with their parents? (laughs) Yeah, I think it depends. I mean, as with everything we've talked about this before, is that I try not to, because if you're policing every single interaction, 
someone else has with your kids, that's not fun for anyone. And I think if I was correcting every single thing that you said to them, (laughs) nothing would sort of sink in and you would say, oh, what's the point? Yeah, yeah, no, good (laughs) point. So I let certain things go that you do with them, but then I also know sort of what their triggers are, Mm -hmm. if you will. No, absolutely. So I know that one of my sons, if you tell him not to do something, He's not doing it to be bad, but he's just saying, okay, what's going to happen? Yeah, yeah, I saw that, yeah. So you'll see it firsthand, right? So instead of saying, oh, Owen, don't bang your, oh, I just named and shaved him. (laughs) But don't bang your spoon on the table. He's going to bang it one more time just to see what will happen if I do. So instead we will say, oh, your spoon is for putting in your mouth or putting on the table and tell him what he can do rather than what he can't do. So I think you as the parents know your kids best. And I also think, modeling like again you were here with us for a couple days and there were some things that I don't even know if you picked up on but I just sort of kept modeling how I would speak to them and then you (laughs) sort of started to speak to them in that way because I think the grandparents sort of realized oh that actually does work (laughs) it actually is a bit easier no it's a really good point and one thing that your boys are both great at is independent play and you know where I literally could sit and work while they were playing around me and you just launched a course on intentional or independent play can you tell us a bit about that It did. So independent play is any play that's happening without an adult telling them what to do, directing them what to do, praising them for playing. Um, And so it seems, it can sometimes seem a little bit of a narrow topic, independent play, but it's really, it's pretty much my whole parenting stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I don't jump in if I don't have to. If my kids are doing something perfectly content on their own, I don't need to say anything because then they're learning oh, I actually need my mom to help make things more fun or things like that. And then when we want them to play independently, we're thinking, why can't they? But it's because we've sort of been telling them what to do this whole time. So, yeah, so I launched a course on the independent play course. And it's pretty much if your kids are content on their own and instead you're able to just let them be, it makes your whole experience as a parent so much easier because your kids are just able to go around to do what they need to do. And, of course, you're talking to them, chatting with them throughout the day, but they're able to just sort of, live their lives and play and be without needing you with them all the time. Yeah, and I found that too. I would say, why don't we try this, Owen, or how about that, Cam? And I'm like, wait a minute, I shouldn't be doing that all the time, right? It's okay to interact, of course, but it's like, you know, all the time isn't really necessary. So I need to watch the course. And if I want to, I can find it at ToriHalpin.com. And of course, we can find you at ToriHalpin on Instagram with all of your great parenting tips and of course, cute, cute pictures of my grandsons. Thanks for coming back on the show, Tori. No problem. Thank you so much. Allison Schaefer is a family counselor and parenting expert. She's the best-selling author of three parenting books, including the hilariously titled Honey, I Wrecked the Kids. She speaks and trains around the world. Here in Canada, she hosts the parenting show on Rogers TV, as well as the podcast Parenting the Adlerian Way. Good morning, Allison Schaefer. Thanks so much for coming back on GoToGrandma today. What a pleasure to be back with you, Kathy, in a professional form as opposed to just our friendship. <laughs> just hanging out and talking about through the years we've known each other, probably, I don't even know, like 20 years, something crazy. 20 plus. And yeah. we've both gone through the teen years with our kids. And teens are teens. Let's say they probably don't change too much through the generations. But now from a grandparent perspective, my little you know grandsons are only three and one. But I listen to people talk about, I don't know, maybe teenage grandkids that are how shall I say this? A little sassy? How's that? A little disrespectful. It was very polite of you. <laughs> so what would be your advice? You know, if you're teenage grandkids, maybe not seeing them even all that much, they're disrespectful to you. Like, how does a grandparent manage that? 
It really depends on the circumstance. Before Mm -hmm. I give advice on uh, how a grandparent or a parent should respond to disrespect, I start with the question of trying to figure out what is the teen trying to accomplish? What what is their goal? What is their motivation? Because a lot of times it's really um, the adult subjective interpretation of the behavior that they see the teen as being rude and disrespectful where it, that may not be the motivation of the teen. So if they're like leaving the pizza counter, pizza box on the counter instead of putting it in the recycle bin when they're staying over at your house for the weekend, a grandparent might see that as disrespect to the, fa- to the family rules or to the tidiness of the house or whatever, or knowing better. But to a teen, that's like, I really just didn't even think about it. Like, it, I wasn't like doing that to you. I wasn't thinking, how right. can I upset my grandparent, you know? Or the same, the way in teen culture, they might use abbreviations and be like, you know, hey, yo, Pops, how you doing? And they're like, you don't say yo, it's, it's you, know, <laughs> you address me properly. So we have to realize that their motivation may not be to disrespect us. And so, you know, teens are kind of a, they're sort of like a, a different species for a little while. And we have to look at their interesting behaviors like an anthropologist and not maybe make everything so personal. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's directed right at you, you know, you, you can usually feel that that is a different intent. And so, you know, I'm going to handle that situation differently, in which case then I might speak up to them about that. Right. So you, you're absolutely right. First of all, separating, is that a personal thing? Are they insulting me to my face? Or is just this is the type of behavior that they're just used to having? Yeah, that we just don't understand because that's, that's youth culture today. That's what it looks like. It's not aimed at you. They're just fitting in. So what if your grandchild is rude to your face? Like maybe, you know, swears at you or tells you to back off or whatever that conversation turns out to be? Yeah, I mean, I would try to stay, first of all, as calm as possible. And I want to let them know that I've got a personal boundary that, like, that's not okay. I don't let people talk to me like that. But I also kind of want to recognize the fact that if they are being disrespectful to me, and this is a really important piece for your listener, kids don't really disrespect. First, it's usually a retaliatory Mm. um, response, meaning I'm going to talk down to you or rudely to you the way you talk down or rudely to me. And so something has happened that the the grandparent may not realize that they crossed a boundary of respect and didn't realize it because it was in the name of, well, I'm just being a grandparent. I'm just telling them X, Y, and Z. So I usually say, have I done something to disrespect you that you kind of want me to get a taste of my own medicine? I don't understand what's happening here. So I'm, I'm trying to look for some understanding so that they can educate me about, yeah, you know what, you talk, you talk to me like I'm a child. I'm 15. I'm allowed to do different things now, Grandma. Like, oh, okay, I need to catch up with you. Thanks for letting me know. Let's keep talking. Oh, that's great advice. You know, what if the grandchild is quite respectful to you? They understand that that line, but you witness them being super rude to their parents. Do grandparents have a role in that or should we just sort of stay out of that and let them sort that out? Well, I, I, again, you know, check out what you're trying to accomplish right. and whether you think you're going to be effective. So I think generally speaking, I would say my first line of action is mind your own business. Mm-hmm. They're having an interpersonal situation. I don't want to triangulate and insert myself into it. But at the same time, I might sidebar say, hey, it looks like you're having a hard time with your teens. Teen years are hard. What can I do to be supportive to you? Is there anything I can do to help? What, what, what do you need from me so that I, you, know, you don't feel like you're going this alone? But sometimes you really do have a parent who really can't set limits and boundaries, and you're witnessing a child totally walking all over a doormat parent, and it can be really painful that they're saying, like, oh, no, he's just sad because of the divorce, or, oh, he's just mm-hmm. upset because of COVID. And you're like, no, he's just being rude and petulant. <laughs> he's, right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes we can see that, and the parent can't. You know, they can have, be a bleeding heart. 
In which case, I might just, if I have their ears, say, no, you know, I respectfully disagree, but that's, that's my two cents. That's enough said. And if it's happening right in front of me, I might just say, you know what? This is uncomfortable for me to watch. I'm not going to stand in the face of disrespect. And I would just exit myself from the room. So I've made mm. a statement about my own personal boundaries of what I will and won't watch. But I've done it as not inserting myself, but just making my own personal boundary. Okay, so here's another scenario for you. So the grandparents have the teenage grandkids over and there is some sassy or bad behavior directed towards the grandparents, but it gets resolved. Should we tell the parents that it happened in the first place? What's your feeling on that? So if you think, again, what purpose are you doing this for? If you think that mom needs to know, like, hey, I just want you to know that sometimes when we get together and I've got the grandkids, you know, sometimes they're a little bit of attitude. I'm I'm managing it, but I just thought you'd want to be on the up and up about that. Or this is how I handled the situation. Do you think I handled that well? Is there a different way you'd like me to handle it in the future? So I might do that. But the idea of just sort of saying, I need you to know that the kids were sassy. You need to speak to them. That's a little bit like when your father gets home, you're basically tattling on the child, right? Um, So (laughs) you're you're getting them in trouble. You're snitching. (laughs) And if you dealt with it, it's dealt with and it's done. So one of the best things that you can do is to show your grandkids that it's past. We've handled it. Bygones. Every minute is a new minute to, to try again. And so you just see mom at the door and say, oh, no, we had a great afternoon. Can't wait to have them back. It sort of is proof positive that you're not holding a grudge about it. Oh, I think that's great advice. I know you run parenting workshops quite frequently, Allison, and you run teen ones. What's the focus of those seminars when you run those? Oh, thank you for asking. Yeah, that's a very popular one. And (laughs) again, I think because teens became such a, um, they had so many troubles during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. A lot of that focus is talking about the transition in the adolescent years from being more momagerial, where we're just sort of managing our kids, educating them, telling them what to do, kind of command and control parenting, to switching over to a more relational style of parenting, where, you know, you kind of can't make a teen do anything, but if they have a good relationship with you, you're more likely to have their ear and influence them to make good decisions when you're not there to track and monitor and make sure. So they're more likely to say no to the vape pen going around the hockey change room uh, where you're not going to be there to say, don't do that. If they say, oh, you know what, my mom's a good egg. We have a good relationship. Uh, you know, she'd be really disappointed if I did that. I, I think I'm going to pass. I, I want to keep things on the, on the up and up with my folks. So we really do have a lot more power if we have a good relationship. And I don't want our parents to blow it in handling tricky teen situations, which we know are going to come up with all of them in ways that are punitive and and make us angry and distant because that really, um, we lose our biggest tool, which is our relationship. You always have such great advice. Teen years are always turbulent, as we know, but you give advice on all ages of kids. We can go to alisonshafer.com. Of course, follow you on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and it's Allison, A-L-Y-S-O-N, and Schaefer, S-C-H-A-F-E-R. Thanks so much for coming back on the show, Allison. Always appreciate your advice. Thanks, Kathy. Great to share. Rachel Meggett is Vice President, Term Investments and Savings, and RBC Investees. Rachel and her teams help Canadians save and invest. And at this time of the year, they're out talking to Canadians about how to recover from overly generous spending on gifts for family and friends. Good morning, Rachel. Thanks so much for being a part of our Take 5 with RBC interview this morning. Thanks so much for having me, Kathy. So it's March, but we might still be dealing with some bills from the holidays because, oh, we can't resist buying our grandkids those perfect gifts. Am I the only one who overindulged maybe a little bit? 
<laughs> you most definitely are not. And I don't think my children are alone in being on the receiving end of that generosity either. It's You know what? We can't help it sometimes, right? So let's look at where we are today. We've got the rest of the year to deal with. How should yes. we try to get our finances back on track? It's a really interesting question because there's actually so much that we can do to really take control of the situation. So if we just take a step back, and you're absolutely right, we're in, we're in March, we're looking in the rearview mirror at the holidays, but we're also looking ahead. In the next nine months, we're going to have another holiday season. So we really need to be conscious of how much we overspent a few months ago, and some of us are still reeling from that. We're still trying to dig ourselves out of that debt. And when we think of the national behavior, the national average, on average, about Canadians spend about $580 above what they had otherwise mm-hmm. budgeted for the holiday season. So it's a significant amount of money. When we think of individuals who are sort of 55 plus, a little bit more restraint. We actually only saw an overspend of about $402. So still a significant amount. So when we think of now how we can alter our behavior or get ourselves out of that debt, there's definitely a lot of things that we can do in terms of starting to look at our wants versus our needs, especially when we're so now conscious of inflation. So Mm -hmm. going to the grocery store is costing us significantly more now than it was a little while ago. And we're feeling that on our wallets. And so if we think about, you know, just pausing, is this something that I absolutely must have or is this something that I would like to have? And giving ourselves that that momentary pause to make those decisions, even just looking at our bank accounts and seeing where we might be able to move some money over to the side into a savings account, making sure we have a dedicated savings account where that money is sort of hidden off to the side and we're not accessing it on a daily basis. We might not even be conscious of it on a daily basis, but then all of a sudden when it starts to accumulate through interest and through moving that money out of our checking account, we get pleasantly surprised and that money can then be put towards paying down debt. Once that debt is dealt with, then we also find ourselves in a really fortunate situation of now being able to create new goals that we might want to save towards and actually then be able to realize. Exactly. And when you talk about us overspending $400 over, that's $400 that didn't go into our savings, right? So it's like a double whammy. Correct. Exactly. And understanding that and sort of the comparison between debt and savings, that's, you know, what we call financial literacy, obviously. And what can we do to help educate our grandkids about that? And how important is that? I think it's phenomenally important. And financial literacy is now even part of the curriculums in school, which really signals how much of a of a central focus it has become. I think in terms of bringing those conversations into the home, it's really about making them fun. It's about removing the, the lecture around financial literacy and really turning it into tangible, everyday interactions. So whether it's even through, and I think we actually spoke about this the last time we had a conversation was even around playing Monopoly as Mm -hmm. an example. So there is money that you are given. There's a budget that you start the game with. And you have to be conscious of how you spend that money throughout the game. So if you land on a particular property, you have to be conscious of whether you have the money in your bank account to buy it whether you have to wait. If you buy it now, will it afford you more rent income to be able to do more within the future? So there's lots of opportunities that we can bring those conversations into really fun interactions, whether it be through a game like Monopoly or other board games or 
maybe even sharing shared goals with individuals in your family. Yeah, because a lot of our interactions, money transactions are sort of invisible because they're online and the kids don't see them. So playing a game is a great suggestion. Getting a handle on our own spending, we need to do that as well. And if we want some more advice, of course, we can go to rbcroyalbank.com slash investment slash GICs. And thank you so much for being on the show again, Rachel. Thanks so much for having me, Kathy. Great conversation. Always be nice to your children because they are the ones who will choose your rest home. Phyllis Diller. What? We're always nice, right? Well, if we can't be nice all of the time, and who can, at least we can be consistent with our grandparenting as we were with our parenting. Thanks to my daughter, Tori Halpin, for continuously proving to me and to the world that I must have done something right with my style of parenting. And to my good friend, Allison Schaefer, who always has the best advice when dealing with those less than perfect parenting moments. Next week on Go to Grandma, we are working at it, looking at work and how to get ahead with it or back into it or just get on with it. Consultant and coach Nadine Araxi is going to talk about kickstarting or changing your life path from a grandma perspective. And what do we know that we could share with younger women starting out? How will we know if we are achieving our goals if we don't know what they are? Author and professional coach Julie Ellis is going to talk about how to set big, gorgeous goals. What are they and how are they different? from a regular goal. And our Take 5 with RBC interview looks at the ultimate goal, not leaving our kids with a mess to deal with when we're no longer around. We want to avoid probate, and we'll tell you how to do that. I hope you'll join me as we score some points during this goal-oriented episode. It will air on Zoomer Radio on Saturday, March 25th, and be available on our podcast the following week. Thanks for joining me this week. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you've been listening to Go To Grandma. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter at Kathy Buckworth or email her Kathy at KathyBuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.